I realized that I was impressed. I, I surprised myself that I'm like, God, I'm not a schmuck. I'm not being seduced by all the by all the magic that the movie business throws at you because it does. I mean. Sure. Warner Brothers, these studios, they make you feel like you are. You're the man. Oh, my God. You can't even imagine so the stuff they do. I mean, like, you go to a premiere in New York City. It's like a four-bedroom suite on the park. And, and I realize this is all nonsense. Dude, we all have the best time ever to start a small business. If I'm not going to be 100% in, I'm not going to do it. Come on, man. Just be yourself. Yeah. And, like, and just show up as yourself. If you don't realize what I'm really about, I'm about freedom, family, and my country. Basil, How cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming to the pit. Uh, Jersey Shore guy. Yep. Give you a little basis about what this is all about is I was somebody who didn't do well in school. I was struggling to come up in my career in business and finance. And I was like, man, I wish I had more things to grab onto. I wish I had things that were more cost effective. And mentors were 30, 40 grand. And when you're making 40 grand, you don't have that type of money. So Evan and I came up with this concept. Let's talk to the business owners we're friends with around the pit and try to inspire people. And you don't always have to go the traditional route. So uh, being who you are and what you have been able to accomplish thus far, and I'm sure you're gonna do much more, I really appreciate having you here. I know Evan and everybody else who pays attention. So Thrilled cheers to, to you, thank you. thank you. So as I was doing my homework and doing some research on you, I said, you know, what is this guy about? What's his movies about? Let me get a little bit more color. And, you know, to Craig's uh, credit, he wasn't telling me much. And I said, I, I want to read this guy. There's not a ton of stuff on you online, by the way. There's a lot of reasons for that, yeah, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Um, but as I discovered, you're really just a Jersey Shore guy like all of us. And, and I love that, dude. And again, thank you for coming. So cheers. No, I appreciate it. No, we, we, there is not a lot. It's funny because... My wife today was like, your office in New York doesn't have an address online. I'm like, well, honey, there's a reason for that. Like, I want to be as down low as possible. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care about any credit. I don't care about any press. I care if the stuff I work on is interesting and cool and people respect it and if the check clears. But yep. other than that, I'm, I want to keep my head down. That's why I moved to Jersey. I, I, I want to just be a normal person and a dad and a friend and a husband and, you know, and just be a, like a normal guy, which yeah. is a hugely important thing for me. It almost probably is a lot of pressure. Like all of a sudden you have this fame and you want to just be looked at as like the normal guy who can chop <coughs> it up in the backyard here, having some high noons with us. And sometimes that's probably difficult. Believe it or not, it's never been difficult. One, I, it's a very humbling job. Um, no matter who you talk to, you could talk to Harrison Ford, Brad Pitt, you could talk to people just starting out. It's a constant humiliation and failure and that's fine I'm not, not in a bad way you just you learn how to how to fail eat crow and eat crow and you learn that there's somebody else that's gonna be better than you or younger than you or works harder than you and that's fine once you get the peace with that but for me it was never you know coming back to home I never felt for even for a second that a did I feel cool or B anyone even give a shit about who I was and who mm -hmm. my family was in fact as my friends know, Craig and Dennis, who are here, I'm known more for like being the dad of my kids than anything else. And that's the whole, that was the kind of the whole point of coming back was just to be, you know, a normal human being. You throw a pretty good party for the Booster Club too. I do, and my wife has an incredible store in Spring Lake. 
And I, and I do love, I have to say, I cannot tell you how many times I'll run into somebody in town and they'll be like, oh my God, you're Natalie from Warm Shop's husband. I'm like, I am. And that's, that's amazing. <laughs> you should get that on your license plate. I wish, trust me. <laughs> Natalie's husband. I know. Um, so I'm gonna kind of chronologically walk sure. through your life and, and really lay out your story for people to understand it. So born in Teaneck, New Jersey. Holy Name Hospital, yep. yep. Uh, Wikipedia was correct, sometimes yes, they're, it was. they're incorrect. Um, you lived in Freehold and Spring Lake growing up? The Heights, I wasn't that fancy. Well, I was on the other side of the tracks. Now you're that fancy. Yeah, now I'm fancy. <laughs> um, but I'm a Freehold guy. Yeah. Um, and that's where I, I grew up on El Elton Delphi Road. I, like, my brothers are there. I'm not, I mean, like, yeah. blood brothers, but like my friends. Yeah. And that's the system I grew up with, the free old system. I went to CBA, but still my friends that I grew up with are still like family to me. Mm -hmm. They transcend friends, they're like family to me. Yeah, no matter how long it's been, you get together. It's, 100%. Yeah, you never and they're, they're completely amused that I'm back here, which is, and yeah. it confuses them, but it's amusing for them. I'm gonna get into that, how you kind of ended up back here and why, as I was watching that interview with Zangle, um, you were talking about, you were coming back every summer. Yes. For like six or eight years. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you're doing that, you probably knew in your head eventually you would end up back here. Someday. Yeah. So, basketball guy, and yep. I'm going to get to why basketball was so important uh, you know, to your career and where you're at today. Played at CBA. You know, I think I was reading an article, or maybe, again, it was on the interview. You didn't really love what you were doing at CBA in a sense of basketball. I, I have a lot of regrets because a CBA... The best, we were nationally ranked my junior and senior year. I played with great people, we were great. And I think my regrets were more of, I had an incredible opportunity that I didn't grab. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was kind of scared of the pressure. Because my junior year, we, it was John Crotty and uh, Steve Paterno, Mark Dowdell, Dave Altaver. At one point we were like 11th in the nation. And, uh, and I was a, supposed to, going into my senior year, I was supposed to be one of the, the next wave of CBA guys. And I practiced all summer. I was incredible in practice. The first four or five games, I was great. And then all of a sudden, I got the yips. I don't know what it was, but I just froze. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of, it, it, it freaked me out because not, I never thought I was gonna be like a college basketball player. Although I'll tell you about my Raleigh Massimino story in a second. But I said, okay, if I'm a guy who is folding on the pressure, what's gonna happen when I'm like an adult and have a job? Like if I'm a pussy, now I'm gonna be a pussy when I'm 25. Yeah. And it really got me- um, In your own head. In my own head. And, uh, and the thing about CBA is really strange for me because I love girls mm -hmm. back in the day. And I was a free old guy. And not a lot of people from free old went to CBA. And so I would get on the bus at like 7.15 in the morning I get home at like five o'clock, and in that time frame, I never s s even saw a girl within 20 years of my age, and it drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of resentment towards the school for a, for a number of reasons. The irony is, since I've been back, I've kind of fallen back in love with the school. It's a different school. I see it from a different perspective, and my son, next year, will be a freshman there, and I never asked him to go. He did it himself. He wanted to go. He wanted to go. And so, you know, the whole cliche about, uh, I met your, you, you know, your son is like, you want your kids to be better than you. Mm -hmm. And that's like clear evidence that my son is 
smarter, tougher, and more wiser than me. Because I, look, I looked at things from here when I was his age, and he looks at, it, at the opportunities and the people, the friendships that he can make. And, um, and so my, my relationship with CBA has really evolved. Now I'm in the CBA Hall of Fame, which is absurd. Yeah. Because I, I, did, I didn't sit foot on campus for 30 years, literally. So when you, when you were going through that as a, as a younger guy and you matured and went out to Hollywood, you really utilized that fear and emotions that you had, that regret, to say, I'm never going to do this again. So for the young person who's maybe paying attention had a business failure or maybe didn't do well in school like I didn't, um, that stuff is all behind you. You were able to take that, channel it, and propel yourself to success. When you've been anointed going into your senior year as someone that could be one of the great, like, third-team all-state basketball player, and you've disappointed everyone, um, and you've seen it. Like, you're in games. You see that it's the crowd. The other crowd abuses the shit out of you. But even your own crowd and your parents and your teammates, your coaches, you just see the disappointment, and you learn what, how to deal with failure. Mm-hmm. Um, as awful as it is at that point, so good for you. It's so good for you. Yeah. And the thing about the film business is the failure is so spectacularly public. Yeah. You know, like if you work on a movie and it's terrible, your name's on it, and you have to screen it, you have to screen in front of people, and people boo, they walk out, and you're sitting there and you just have to take it in. Like, I learned early on that failure is fine. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you survive. Like, frankly, if you don't think you're going to fail in life, you're an idiot. Um, or you're not reaching far enough. Yeah, you're not going big. You're not going big. And, and there were many times when I was at CBA my senior year going, God, I could go to Freehold Township, score 21 points a game. Be a hero. And be a hero. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, I'm here. That's I'm weak. Here. It's weak. Yeah. And so it, that, taught, that failure taught me a lot. Yeah. And, um, and I've always said, like, you don't learn anything from the wins. You learn everything from the failures. Yeah. And, and that's, like, cliche to say, but it's so true. So true. Yeah. So as you, you moved on to the college career, you were a walk-on on Villanova, correct? Ish. So if you were... Walk-on-ish? If, we were, if you were a 24-year-old girl and I was 24 and we were in Manhattan Beach, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is... So when I was a junior, uh, John Crotty, who went to UVA, his second choice is Villanova. So I knew Raleigh because he came to all the practices. My senior year, Mark Daldell, was my year, went to Villanova. So I knew Raleigh for years, years. And I was supposed to go to West Point, believe it or not. And I failed the medical. And I th- I've got to become with friends with Steve Pannone and, and, and Raleigh. Not friends, but... Yeah. And Raleigh would always be like, hey man, you know, Villanova is, you know, walk-on central, Pat Enright, the big shot in 80, in whatever it was, 80... 80, whatever it was. Um, thank you, high noons. But um, come to Villanova and be a walk-on. You know, you're great. You have, you have heart, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, Raleigh wants me to be a walk-on at Villanova. I go to Villanova, do all the fall workouts, like Jay Wright's there and, and, and all these people. And um, I show up, uh, and we're running at like 6 o'clock in the morning. It's awful till we vomit. It's terrible. Uh, but I'm... Like, oh, look, I'm, I'm with Nova. the team. I'm at yeah. Villanova. I have, I have like a, jer- like a jersey, but like a, like a T-shirt. And then Raleigh shows up for the first time, and he's walking across the court. And I ran up to him, like, Raleigh, hey, man, uh, I'm, I'm, here. I'm here. And he's like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and I realized at that moment, I'm well, like, well, oh, my God, I got hustled. Yeah. And, uh, but also, I thought, I just, 
I, I was burned out. You yeah. know what I mean? I just didn't have the passion for basketball. It's a lot. You're playing, you know, it double is. sports in high school, and then you get to college, and you're like, am I really going to go pro? Is this I wanted really to be worth a college it? kid. I wanted to, like, have fun. Over, have fun. Oversleep my classes and be a goofball. Yeah. It, it just was, it, I didn't have that fire. And, and listen, again, it's something as a dad you have to be very wary of with your own kids. And my parents never pushed me, they were great. But I was just like, I just didn't care about it enough. Yeah. You know, I just was, and so I have no regrets. But, so I was a practice player. And what a practice player was at Villanova was there was interns, and then there were the players that just went to practice. And I was a practice player. So I broke my ankle, and thankfully I was done forever. Yeah, never went and back. Never went back. And the great thing is I could always explain, like, oh, if I didn't break my ankle, I would have been yeah, a star. But I would have killed it. Yeah, I would have killed it. <laughs> so as you graduated Villanova, you were like, what am I doing with my life? Do yeah. I want to go? Uh, you heard about film school. You're like, this sounds cool. Yep. Maybe I'll like it. Um, let me go discuss this with your parents. And they were quickly right on board, which shocked you. It was, because, you know, when I... I was a philosophy and political science double major at Villanova. And the reason why I was a philosophy one was they had the highest LSAT scores. Mm -hmm. So when I didn't get into West Point because of my eyes, um, my family was very, very, and I had Bill Bradley write the letter of recommendation. I was supposed to be in. And, and did I want to go? I wanted to go when I was younger. I mean, who doesn't want to be a soldier when they're young? Yeah. But I remember I went there and I spent like an overnight trip there and everyone I met was like, why would you want to come to West Point? Um, so I was relieved when I didn't get in, but I felt the disappointment in my family. Yeah. Which is, you were supposed to be like a senator, you mm -hmm. know, through West Point, because my uncle went there, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and they're like, okay, well, if you go to a good law school, be a good lawyer, you'll be forgiven. In retrospect, I realized all that was in my head. My parents and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles, no one thought about that at all. They just wanted the best for you. They wanted the best for me. And so um, I was supposed to go to law school, I didn't want to go to business school because my father from, from Freehold would commute every day into the city. And that was before ferries. It was an hour and a half each day. He'd come home at 8 o'clock at night, wiped out. Yeah, it's a lot. <clears throat> it's a lot. I couldn't be a doctor because I'm a puss. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I didn't even know what that meant. And this was a period of time when film schools started exploding. And you got to understand, when I was growing up, you, what you loved and what your hobbies were had no application to what you could be when you grew up. Yeah. Um, and I love movies. I mean, I, my, I remember my dad, we first bought our first VCR, you know, we would get movies every Friday. Uh, well, he would pick, come, go to, VC, go to a video store with me, come home with like six movies, and I'd watch six movies a weekend. I love movies. But like, So you were always a movie buff. You were always, always into it. Always. But I was... Where'd you uh, go, Blockbuster? Yeah, or like it was like local ones. But I was always an athlete. I always loved sports. I didn't think I was going to play for the Mets. Mm -hmm. It's it's an alien like it's, foreign. It's far out there. So far out there. And at a Thanksgiving dinner, just to mess with my parents and everybody, and I said, "Guys, I make an announcement. I don't want to go to law school. I want to go to film school." Hoping to piss everybody off. And they're like, "That's a great idea." I'm like, "Seriously?" They're like, "That's you're perfect for it." And so I applied to um, USC Film School, the graduate screenwriting program, and I got in. And it was um, and pretty got, miraculous at the time. And when you got out there, though, you didn't continue it, no. um, the whole program. <laughs> no, so I lied on a, uh, an application to do this incredible internship program called Who Do You Want to Be? And 
it was you spent like three weeks with different people in the movie business. And the, the whole point was after this internship, you were going to go, oh, I want to be an editor or a producer or a writer or a director, whatever it is. Now, I didn't realize, I didn't want to say I lied, but I thought it was between the two years. I thought it was be before your first year, but in fact, it was between the two years. And so I came out and I did this internship before I started USC. And it was incredible. I worked on Jurassic Park. I worked on um, this, uh, this great Walter Hill movie called, um, I forget what it's called. It was Ice Tea and Ice Cube. Um, Unforgiven. Worked with the editor on Unforgiven. Like, this is all as an intern. All as an intern. And so you spend three weeks with these people. And everyone I met was just like, you're, you're a go-getter. You know movies. Why are you going to graduate school? Go work. Yeah. I'm like, why are well, you wasting your time here? Yeah, why are you wasting your time here? Like, go to work. Just go do it. What are you doing? Like, if you want to write, go write. If you want to produce, just figure it out. Go work. You don't have to go to graduate school. And you got to remember, USC film school at the time was like the Harvard of yeah. film schools. It's a place you wanted to be. You want a place you want to be. And so I, I lasted a semester at USC because, not to sound like a pretentious asshole, but I looked at the, like the synopsis of like the year. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to, there's nothing new I'm going to learn until the end of my first year. Yeah, this, this is, is ridiculous. Miserable. miserable. And so I took um, a semester off. Um, so you're technically a college dropout. We like dropouts. I right? am dropout, yeah. Yeah, we like that. I'm a, I took a semester off and I uh, became a PA, a production assistant. I worked on music. At Warner? No, no. Just to, I worked on a white snake, a couple of white snake videos. I worked on like commercials, digit like like industrial films. What's a white snake video? Remember White Snake, the band? Oh, the band. Yeah, David Coverdale. All right. Oh yeah, three of them. Uh, you just do. Never heard of it. You never heard of it. No. Oh my god. Never heard of it. You're young. You're much younger than me. Yeah. Um, but it was it was like hard. It was hard like early '90s rock, and I was miserable because it was the worst job in the world. I, I've told the story a number of times. At one point, we were shooting in downtown LA, and they were like, okay, you have to go like four blocks that way and make sure no one comes onto set. You're like a crossing guard. And they're like, you gotta wear this uh, helmet, like a, like a hard hat. And um, um, I have a huge head, and the hard hat they gave me was like a, like a yarmulke on my head. It was embarrassing. I'm like, I'm not gonna wear a hard hat. I go down this alleyway, and a bunch of homeless people dump like a bucket of shit and piss on my head. <laughs> and they sent me to the hospital. And I'm like, the movie business sucks. This is terrible. But that was my, that was my introduction, introduction to movie business. It was, it was like, I, I, I thought I was that person who graduated college and said, oh, I'm going to go to Madrid for two years or L.A. or wherever and then come back home and get a real job. So as you, you then got a job at Warner in the mailroom, correct? Is that, was it your mm. first position there? No, my, it was a mailroom at a talent agency, UTA. Mm -hmm. There's like four big talent agencies, CAA. W, uh, William Morris, Endeavor, ICM, and UTA. So I got, that was a miracle. That was the biggest, that was when everything changed. I got into the mailroom at UTA. Everything changed. And when did you get to Warner? I got to Warner in 1995. And I, I, again, I was reading this, or I saw it on the other interview, but basketball came back into your life. It did. Someone came to you and was like, hey, you know, you look tall, you look like you play basketball, you're any good. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm decent. They're like, hey, we play in the parking lot on lunch. And as you went out there, you're able to meet all these executives. You're able yeah. to meet guys like George Clooney and yeah. Marky Mark and yeah. kind of started to allow you to build that rapport with these people, which probably helped you ascend up the ladder there. Not even a question. I mean, first of all, I got the job at UTA 
because Jeremy Zimmer, who's now the head of UTA, was like, you play basketball? I'm like, yeah. He's like, great, we play um, every weekend. So he got me in the mailroom and I played with agents and famous clients and all these people when I was 23, 24 years old. But when I got to Warner Brothers, literally the first day, I'm like 24, or about to be 25, Steve Spira, who's head of business affairs, was like a legendary guy, huge basketball player, comes up to me, first day, I mean, I'm there for like 15 minutes. He's like, you play basketball? Yeah, he already knew. And he goes, yeah. He's like, we play three days a week on the Warner Brothers lot. There's a very famous court on the Warner Brothers lot that was just built. He's like, come out. And so I came out, and it was all these like young actors, like George Clooney and Jamie Foxx, uh, uh, Wahlberg, all these people, like you can't even imagine. And they were, we all became friends because all we did was play, play basketball. basketball together. But it was incredible to me because like you'd look over and like where that, where Dennis is sitting, it'd be like Julia Roberts. Yeah. Because we were right next to the friend stage, mm-hmm. literally right next to the friend stage. So you'd be like, you know, all the friends, like Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox and Julia Roberts was there because she was dating, I think Matthew Perry. How was, old were you at the time? 25. Now, were you thinking producer? Were you thinking anything? I was thinking in that realm, or I was thinking like, why am I here? Yes, <laughs> I was like, what just happened? Um, I was like, I'm I'm playing with house money. I'm way ahead of schedule, so just be present, just learn, just um, meet people. You know, things look clear in retrospect. At the time, I was like, okay, I'm a Jersey guy. You know, I'm not connected. I have no connections at all. Sooner or later, someone's going to figure out that I'm a fraud. So while I'm here, just go hard. Why did you think you were a fraud? Well, because I'm I'm a Jersey guy. We all do. You know, it's like, you know, we're outside of New York City. Like we look across. I mean, gave I think, you a little bit of a chip. Gives you a chip. Yeah. That chip has made me who I am today. Yeah. Chips are great. Chips are great. Utilized properly. Absolutely. Not in a negative way, but used to fuel yourself. Oh, 100%. So as you got into Warner, when did you start helping produce or working on some of these you know, shows or movies? Right off the bat. I mean, I, the first movie I worked on was Heat. Um, and I worked on a ton of movies. I worked on really good movies and really what bad movies. What were you movies. doing? I was like an executive, so I was a suit. Mm-hmm. It was one of the suits. You're, you know, we, Warner Brothers finances the movies, so you're the guy who gives the notes and watch dailies. And you're, you know, you watch, you know, if you watch Entourage were mm-hmm. the guys in the suits. Yeah. Um, and uh, which is crazy to me because. Entourage is such a good show. Such a good show. Such a and good show. And by the way, shockingly accurate. Yeah. Um, but the crazy part was your. My mentor, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, which is a great name and a great guy, he hired me. Um, he was going to be the. He was the ascending prince and he ultimately became the president of the studio. And he's like. Um, I'm hiring you because you're, you're five years younger than everybody else and I want to mix things up. And he threw me in the deep end. And so... Create that friction on purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I went toe-to-toe with directors and actors and producers that I grew up with. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I had meetings with Oliver Stone that were, like, legendary. Just the two of us just yelling at each other about, like, any given Sunday about the script and all that stuff. Great movie. And he... he 
God bless him, he threw me in the deep end. He didn't. He was just like, you'll figure it out. I had a guy on here a few weeks ago, and uh, he had a great line, if you're not squirming, you're not learning. Mm-hmm. Or if you're squirming, you're learning. Yeah. And that's so true. Anytime you're uncomfortable and you're thrown into the fire, no pun intended, <laughs> you're figuring it out. So how long were you with Warner Brothers? I was executive there for six years. Executive for six yeah. years. And then were you sitting there going, all right, kind of getting a feel of what this movie game is about. Did you then have those aspirations to say, I want more monetarily, I want more control, I see this differently? Not that you thought negatively of Warner, but when a a business is that big, sometimes they move a little slower. So at a certain point, um, I had a great stretch where I was, I bought the script for Training Day and I put it all together myself. I did the remake of Ocean's Eleven. I got Soderbergh when he was still, right before Aaron Brockovich comes out, and that came together in a big way. Now, you purchased it with your own money, or you're saying with No, from the studio. Yeah, yeah, I was the guy yeah. that put And then... What does the script go for? What, what, what do they cost, typically? Uh, well, Train Day at that point was scale, so it was like 140000 I remember, I'll, I'll remember on, on, um, on Ocean's Eleven, it was five hundred grand because mm-hmm. that was a lot at the time. And then I, I went down to the promenade. This is a cool story. So I went, I, I went to uh, we all my friends and I went to uh, Santa Monica Promenade to watch some like, college football game or I forget what it was, and we get loaded, and we're like, okay, we can't drive home. And so I'm like, I'm gonna walk home, which was stupid. It was one of those yeah. drunk decisions. And after like walking like an hour and a half, I, like, uh, I'm tired. I was like, I'm tired as hell. And it was a movie theater there called the New Art, and there was just this Norwegian film. And I'm like, this sounds pretty cool. I'm gonna go in and watch it, eat popcorn, sober up, and then leave. And I love the movie, and I bought the remake rights and uh, developed a script. It was supposed to be Jonathan Demme and Harrison Ford. They fell out, and I watched this movie that I thought was good, not great, and, but I'm like, I met the director, and the director was like, this guy is a fucking genius. And I hired him for his first big studio movie, was Chris Nolan who's now like one of the great directors in the last like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had like these incredible stretch of these three movies, but I was still pretty unhappy. And, yeah, and momentum on your side. Momentum on my side. And, my, and my, like, I would call my dad, I'm like, ah, I'm not satisfied. He's like, what are you, nuts? You're at Warner Brothers, just shut up and do the work. And I'm like, I wanna do some small movies, I wanna do some bigger movies, I wanna, I wanna just grow. What were you not satisfied with? How many movies you were producing, not having ownership in it, what, what well, was that, it? Well, that came later. I was, I felt like I was, I was very restless. Mm-hmm. And I've been restless for a very long time. Like you were being put in a cage. Put in a cage, by the way, a gilded cage, but a cage. Yeah. And at the time, this company called Intermedia came up. It was the biggest independent film company in the world at the time. They raised all this money. And they went around the studios and they went to, like someone at Universal, someone at Disney, and to me, and said, we'll pay you more money than you can ever imagine. We want you to help run this company. And I looked at the numbers, and I'm, it's kind of a little bit like this like PGA, yeah. Saudi thing. I'm like, how do I say no to this? Yeah. This is more money than like... I'd be kind of stupid not to take this. I'd be stupid not to take it. Um, so I took it. And... It was a great three years. We did, 
we got nominated for like you know seven or eight Oscars, and we did Terminator Three. We did a ton of cool movies. How old were you at that time? Now, twenty or uh, thirty. Thirty years old. So, um, and I did that for a while as an executive, but at a certain point, I'm like, okay, as you said before, I, w- I want to be more entrepreneurial. I'm, st- I'm I'm tired of being part of a big company. I want to be a producer. I want my name on the movies. I want something different than I have now. You're there for three years. You start to say, hey, I, I want to achieve more for myself. I want yeah. my name on the credits, first one. <clears throat> and as I watch your movies, and I've obviously watched them in the past, uh, The Town was one of my favorite movies. Thank you. And uh, I, I, to be very honest, I don't usually watch the credits. I don't know who a producer is. I'm not really familiar with you know, smaller names in the movie business that may be an actress or an actor. Um, so when I heard your name and I did a little bit of research, I said, oh, I did The Town. The Town was a great movie. Um, But anyway, I'm jumping around. You start saying, I want to go and launch my own studio. Talk about what that entails. How do you go and do that? What type of capital does it take? What type of um, people does that take? Talk a little bit about that and what you were thinking at the time. I mean, I think there's kind of like two paths you could take in business. And I'm not saying either one is better than the other. Mm -hmm. One of them is, I want to be part of a, a larger corporation, a larger team. Um, and Entrepreneur. The, pardon me? Called an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, yes. Yeah. And, and the advantages of that are, are safety, comfort, health plan. Um, Sounds soft. But. And, and, but also, uh, uh, you understand how to move up. You know, they give you a roadmap of how to move up. And, and also, at least in the, in, the, in the film business, information. Yeah. Like you're around information, you're around like what's supposed to be good, supposed to be bad, who's hot, who's not. Or you're, um, a, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, kind of a small business owner. Which at the end of the day, when you're a producer and you're running a production company, you're a small business owner. And after most of my life, I mean, at that point from like 24 to 30, actually no, 33, I was part of a bigger group. And I was like, God, I want to see... It's the classic, I want to bet on myself. Mm-hmm. I want to see if I'm as good as I, as I think, think I am. Yeah, you've been having these great hits. Exactly right. And, you know, I, I will say that there are many times as an executive, I look at a budget of a movie and I would see a line item for a producer for like 450 grand and I'd be like, who is this person? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that, that person's not involved in it. It's just like an old historical cost. Like, well, that's more than I'm making. Mm-hmm. Like, and I got the movie made. And so I saw a lot of people making on the money. And so I thought to myself, why not yeah, me? Why not me? And I knew there were, you know, there was, it was terrifying at first. Um, because I went from an executive that had. Did you start to flash back to that senior at CBA? This is going to bring pressure. It's out in the public. You know, am I going to fail? Yeah, because when you play on a good team, Sometimes if you're having a bad game, you can just set picks and have some rebounds. Yeah. But when it's you, you know, that's the difference between like basketball and baseball, for instance. Like when you're on the mound, there's no hiding. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I felt myself on the mound. And um, that does something special to you sometimes, though, in a good way. It does. I mean, listen, it changed everything for me. When 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 you realize this, like it's a very like salient, in, in, incontrovertible fact, which is if. I'm not working on this. Nobody else is. Mm-hmm. It makes you work really hard. Yeah, it's it's like this 
all sudden fear of failure that just pulls you. Pulls you. I'm taking this leap of faith. It's it's all on me. It is. And I actually, you know, and I always call it the blank page um, theory because there are these things called buck slips that everyone uses in the movie business. They're like these little cardboard things like this big. And the buck slips always have all your projects or your clients on. And sometimes there's two or three pages of it and they're clipped on. And I'll never forget the first day I, I became a producer, I looked at my buck slip and it was empty. I'm like, oh my God, I'm starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't even a second that I was nervous about it. I'm like, okay, now is the moment to redefine myself. Who do I want to be? Like, let's build. And I started building from there. And now you're totally by yourself or you brought five employees over? How many people were working with at you? At that point, it was about seven of us. Seven. Yeah. And did you have to have a capital raise? Were you funding it out of your pocket? All through Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers was funding. Yes. Yeah, got it. And now what is what type of raise does that start with? Five million, ten million? Well, they, they give you about a million dollars of overhead. Um, they give you at that point about like three hundred fifty thousand dollars of a fee for me. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, not just the fee. Like you make money when your movie yeah. goes, and. In exchange, they get a first look at all your projects, which sounds like what a great deal. But why? Because their distribution. Yeah, because they're they're looking for people to create projects to put in their pipeline. Warner Brothers at mm-hmm. the time, well, every studio, Netflix, you know, Hulu, Amazon, Apple. I want to talk about Netflix next too. Yes, but I am, um, you know, but at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I could I could have my bungalow um, with my staff and my own insignia and all this other nonsense. But at the end of the day, I was an employee at Warner Brothers. Yeah, you, know, you were building a business within a business. I was building within a business, but I didn't realize that at the time. I thought I was building a business. But over the course of five, six, seven years, I realized this is a masquerade. That what Warner Brothers and all the studios do. They control they, you. They control you. Now they'll say, hey, take the Warner Jet and look at the Warner House yeah, in Acapulco. Yeah. And You're feeling great, and meanwhile, they're, they're owning your, exactly your biggest right. movie. And Exactly right. So at that time, though, so they're, they're giving you a million bucks for overhead. Let's just call that some cameras, some, you know, some payroll, maybe an office. Um, you have a movie that hits. They do the distribution. In that scenario, in that structure. Yeah. Let's just say it does $100 million for conceptual purposes. At what point is Warner cut off? What is the, what is the, the well, split? I, I, I can tell you because I worked on a couple of movies that were pretty good, um, but I had one great year, the, my first great year. We had Brooklyn's Finest, which was an independent movie. Yep. Uh, we had uh, Clash of Titans, which at the time made half a billion dollars, which is about the equivalent of $700 million now. We had The Town. And then we had the Expendables. And that was all underneath Warner's cap, per se? It is, but Brooklyn's Finest and the Expendables were not Warner movies. Mm-hmm. One of them was an independent movie. The other one was Lionsgate. Those four movies probably grossed, I don't know, $1.4 billion. In 2010, 2012, yep. that was? and I saw zero. Wow, you in. saw zero? Zero. So that's when you said, "This is bullshit." I'm getting robbed. Yeah. For a million bucks, I'm, I'm yeah. playing small ball. I need to step outside this court. And, and plus, I, I realized that I was impressed. I, I surprised myself that I'm like, God, I'm not a schmuck. I'm not being seduced by all the, uh, by all the magic that the movie business throws at you because it does. I mean, 
I'm sure. Warner Brothers, these studios, they make you feel like you are. You're the man. Oh, my God. You can't even imagine so the stuff they do. I mean, like, you go to a premiere in New York City. It's like a four-bedroom suite on the park. And, and I realize this is all nonsense. This, this costs them ten grand, and they're making millions off me. And so after that year, two things happened. One, I'm like, I haven't seen a dime. And two, um, I'll never forget, it was the Saturday morning that the town came out. And we never thought the town would do well. We thought it would do, it never tested well. And that's crazy because that is an awesome movie. I know. You get done with that movie, you're like, let's go to Boston. (laughs) Well, the funny part is, I used to come, we were shooting, at the end of Clash of Titans, we were shooting um, the town. And I'd go through customs in in the United States and they'd be like, what are you here for? Like, I'm doing a movie. What, What movie? The town. Like, they're like, who's in it? I'm like, Ben Affleck. They're like, ah, loser. John Hamm, like, who? John Hamm from Mad Men. Like, ah, who cares? Jeremy Renner from uh, Hurt Locker. Like, what's that? And Blake Lively from Gossip Girl. They'd be like, what? And it was a joke. It was like a, kind of a, it was one on the, like the end of the bench at Warner's. And so I felt like there were movies that no one cared about that I made into great, but I didn't see any money, especially The Town. So The Town comes out Saturday morning. And that's morning. also frustrating. It's very frustrating. Let's be honest. We all have a little bit of an ego, and we're working hard, and you see something come together. You have the vision. You're mm-hmm. able to articulate and communicate out there to have that success, and now you're keeping all the money, and you've been hating on what I was building, and yes. now I didn't see a dime for it. I would be out in a minute. Well, and, and I think I'd be fired quick. Where it really changed, I was, I was never forget this. I'm, I'm in the car with my wife, and the chairman of the studio calls me. It's a Saturday morning of the town, and it opens up huge. And he calls me up and he's like, hey man, the town's great, congratulations. So what, what's happening with Clash of Titans 2? I'm like, what? Like, he just overlooked me? it. And, and God bless my wife, who is amazing. That moment on, she's like, you have to stop with your loyalty to Warner Brothers. You attribute everything to them. Like, you attribute, like, your success. You're better than that. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't, you're you don't not, owe them anymore. Exactly right. Yeah. And she was right, but it took me years to but figure that out. That's a loyalty to you. That's a that's a good character trait to have. You were loyal <laughs> to them, and they did allow you to make this movie, which catapulted you into doing what you do now. It is. So moving forward, you say, "I'm done. I want to get out from underneath Warner Brothers." Now you're going into your own studio. We talked about a million dollar yeah. payroll <laughs> from Warner Brothers. What does this new investment cost? How many employees did you take with you? I took everyone with me. Um, problem is I didn't pay myself. And I think my biggest piece of advice to anyone starting out is you have to think that you're going to be the last one to get paid. Mm-hmm. Like your employees, your investors, they all get paid, and then it's you. And... Um, I, Short-term pain for long-term gain. Exactly right. And I think that when I left to become an independent producer, everyone thought I was insane. Because they're like, you're supposed to, everyone wants to be an independent producer and then become at Warner Brothers. You're doing the opposite. You're insane <clears throat> because they're the sheep. You're yeah, the exactly guy who right. thought outside the box. And I'm like, I want some financial upside. I want some creative upside. I want some ownership. And I want to bet on myself. Did they limit your creative side? You know, oh, yeah. It was like, oh, big time. Oh, my God. You would have notes from 15 different people. And I'm like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna bet on myself. And at the time, I thought I had two greenlit movies. So I'm like, okay, these two greenlit movies will, will cover me financially. They were ready to go. Ready to go. 
I leave Warner's, those two Greenlit movies turned into red light movies. Mm. They disappeared. And I was, I was in a bad place. You know, it was, I didn't know what Thinking I was doing. Thinking it was all going to go away. It, I actually didn't know what was going to happen. I, I, all I knew was I may have miscalculated. Um, and the isolation, the thing about the movie business, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is like this in every business, but especially the movie business, like success, like you have success, people like swarm you. Yeah. If there's even a small, even wisp of failure, yeah, people, people run for disperse. the hills. And not the loyal mm, ones, though. Not the loyal ones. And I have to say, most people was loyal to me. And again, a lot of it's in my head. But even, you know, I, I got an office in Santa Monica because I live in the Pacific Palisades. And I, I felt isolated. I felt like... You're on your own island. I'm on my own island. And thank God, you know, I, I had support of my friends. And a lot of my friends were very powerful people in the movie business. And my family, and my wife, and my kids. And... And I'm like, okay, maybe I miscalculated, but we all miscalculate in life. Yeah, so what? Keep so going. What? And um, the first movie we got made was John Wick. And I, the whole cliche about putting up your mortgage, like, I literally Equity. didn't get paid a dime. I took a loan out on the house, <clears throat> put it in John Wick. Um, if we, you don't mind saying, what was, what was that investment at the time? Million three. Million three. So that, that was a lot to say. Hey, I just had two movies kind of fail. I'm fully out here on this island by myself. Oh, we were doomed. I'm going to lever my house where my wife, did you have kids at the time? Oh, yes. Your wife and kids were. And, but, but, did but, I tell them? No. But kudos to you. Kudos to you for saying, I'm going to put this all on my shoulders. And again, now that's that jump off the cliff. I'm going to get it fucking done. And I think that puts people, at least for myself, puts me in this hyper focus mode that I'm not losing. Like people start talking about recession now, I put that in my mouth and I swing it around like I'm a hyena dude and I'm like, recession's gonna get crushed by me. That's the thing, like you can go online and you can look at this, it's pretty incredible. If you go online and you Google Keanu Reeves fat, um, when we were trying to raise the financing for the movie, he shows up at the Cannes Film Festival in a full white like suit and he's 100 pounds overweight. Hundred? Oh, wait to see it. It's just Google it. It's it's insane. Wow. And we were doomed. Like all of a sudden, the budget of the movie was getting reduced, reduced, reduced. And not only was I not making any money on the movie, I was owing money on the movie. And I took this money out of the house. What do you mean owing money on the movie? So when you defer your fee, um, that means that you're not going to get paid any money, and it comes out later. As a producer. As a producer. This dipshit who worked for me screwed up and deferred my fee twice. So in other words, I needed to make my entire fee once and that paid off somebody else. Then my entire fee a second time in the back end paid off somebody else. And then I saw money. Got it. And so I'm like, okay, lesson learned. Whatever. It's a movie about a guy avenging his dead dog and a stolen car. And Keanu Reeves is cold as ice. And a bunch of stuntmen directed the movie were doomed. Uh, but it's okay, whatever. You, you got to learn a lesson. And then the second movie we worked on was, um, we did was Sicario. And Sicario, all of a sudden, it was one of the hottest directors in Hollywood. And it was Emily Blunt, when, before she was cool, but it was Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin. The dailies, you know, every day we that shoot. That movie's crazy, by the way. It's crazy. 
I got to ask you a question. I, 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 I have a, a conspiratorial part of my brain. I think we all probably do, if we're honest. You know, you always hear people talk about, you know, government entities, like, dripping stuff to Hollywood. You know, you watch that movie and you think about, you know, even today what's going on at the border and all the cartels, the you know, the human trafficking, and you're like, is this something that, like, people drip over the Hollywood and they get this type of story or some writer just came up with this? And well, the writer is Taylor Sheridan and does Yellowstone in 1983 and all that other stuff mm -hmm. and did Wind River and the sequel. His brother is a journalist worked on the border. Uh, he's a Texas guy. It all comes from his head. So he had local, you know, intel he was oh, seeing. Totally. It. And he's just a great, he's just a beautiful writer. He's a great writer. Uh, and the, and the, the specificity and the reality of that is his genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we made Sicario, we're like, I remember thinking to myself, Sicario's gonna be great, John Wick will be a directed video movie, that's fine. What does that mean? <clears throat> no one will ever see it, so like, no one will care. So we finished, Sicar we finished John Wick, the same movie everyone's seen. First one. First one. We show it to every studio in Hollywood, every single one, and everyone passes. And I'll never forget it because we were at, I was at the shore at the time. And Erica Lee, who's the president of my company, who's like my right hand, was like, don't you want to come back for the screening? And I'm like, I can't do it. I'm gonna have a heart attack. Um, but keep me posted what's I going on. I need to on. sit on the beach and relax. Exactly right. Yeah. I go, keep me posted. And of course I'm up to like two in the morning and I'll never forget, she, she texted me going, Tony Safford from Fox walked out after like 20 minutes. And he was in the middle of the row and it was so, I'm like, fuck Tony Safford, who no longer has a job. And yeah, fuck that guy. Everybody passed, and I'm like, all right. I thought the movie was gonna. I actually love the movie. I'm in the minority. It's a piece of shit. Moving on. And Lionsgate um, bought it. That's the studio, but they gave me no money up front, zero. But they said you could keep, you could own the movie. So 100 percent equity on the back end. They're like, you can own it. It's yours. You own the IP. Now, does the actors get a piece? Oh yeah, Keanu gets a piece. He gets we, equity ownership of it as well. Yeah, so it's a back-end Plus you show. pay him up front? Oh, yeah. But so he, he gets pay up front and he gets equity. But Keanu, God bless him, cut himself to the bone. He's, he is, you always hear stories about Keanu, all true. Yeah. A prince of princes. Rides the subway, very the humble. The best guy ever. Yeah. The most generous, great, there, I could go on and on. So and, you have 100% equity, Lionsgate's gonna distribute it for you. It goes and does what when it was released? That's the thing. It, it didn't. It did okay. It was known as like, oh my god, Keanu Reeves has a great reviewed movie because he's been in so many shitty movies. It made like forty-four million dollars, mm -hmm. which is okay. But when it came out in like the ancillary home video and pay-per-view, took off. It had the same numbers as like Hunger Games. It did huge, and so the studio was like, "What do you think that was about? Why people discovered the movie?" Yeah, and the movie's like crack for people. I mean, we just previewed John Wick Four, and it's too long, and people are nuts. There's something about that Keanu, that character, the tone, the idea, the action, the style, that people are, you know, you just you just don't know. That's the thing about. I've worked on movies that had the greatest writers, directors, scripts, DPs, and you look at it and like it just limp. And then you have ones that are just messy, and they just work. And that was John Wick. And now the second one, did you go with Lionsgate again? Or oh yeah. 
now you had more people coming to the table. And oh yeah, now, now everyone takes credit for lying. Now it's like, you know, it, it, it's, you know, the success of the thousand fathers, failures an orphan. Mm -hmm. John Wick has about 10,000 fathers. Yeah. Um, and it's been- I was big in getting that produced. I was big in getting that distributed. All of it. And, you know, I'll read things, articles going, oh yeah, he's the guy who, you know, wrote John Wick or, or produced John Wick. I'm like, I don't give a shit. The check's clearing. It's great. I live in back in New Jersey. I'm all good. No complaints. Yeah. What, what did the second and third one do? I know when you Google it quick, it said worldwide did over what two billion dollars well, of total revenue. Yeah, the great, the craziest thing is, each movie has doubled the previous movie, which never happens in the history of showbiz. In a in a franchise, there's never been three movies where each movie doubled the, the box office of the previous. So as a businessman, you said. I see this explosion, it went to the home market. Do you then negotiate and try to get another 100% equity? Or did you say, I'm gonna hedge a little bit, take a little bit more upfront money, and then take 50% you know, on hedge. the back end? Yeah, at, at that point you're like. I took too much risk this far. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, you look into the abyss, there's only so many times in one's career you can look into the abyss. Yeah. You know, I think you have to do it a number of times, or, or one or two times, but I was like, you know, and we all talked about it. We, we, myself, Keanu, the director, and we're like, you know, let's just ride it out. This is fun. And we didn't know, you know, because John Wick 2, you know, remember there were two directors on John Wick 1. It was Dave Leach and Chad Selsky. Dave Leach, uh, great guy, um, went on to direct, uh, Jesus, Bullet Train with the Brad Pitt movie and and uh, what's, the, what's the movie called with Ryan Reynolds, um, the... The superhero who's really profane. What's his mm. name? Uh, whatever. <clears throat> he, he has a great career. But he was just like, you know, we got lucky. And let's not push our luck. Uh, which I totally understand. And so we all sit around going, okay, let's not... You know, we're playing with house money here. Like, let's not get too full of ourselves. Let's just take some money up front and, and run it. Yeah, smart. And we didn't realize John McTube that kind of cemented a franchise. Yeah, now John Wick 3, did you go for more equity? No, at that point, we just wind up for money. Stay, yeah. yeah, just stay in a place. But it's, but there's a balance, don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, but it's, um, but sometimes the numbers are like, you gotta go, all right, I'm just gotta yeah. take it. The Contract is another cool movie I watched recently. Oh, you saw that? Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, I think it's really good. And, and the concept of it kind of reminded me of what went on with the pandemic recently. Yeah. You know, obviously there's always a ton of different stories about what went on, but the basis of it was this guy was, was he Middle Eastern or? He was, yes, but yeah, he was Middle Eastern. He yeah. was supposedly making a bioweapon. This yeah. guy got kicked out of the military, Blackwater private contractor said, hey, this is national security. He goes and takes the guy out and then discovers later on that this guy had a cure for some totally. type of horrible virus. And he was like, the government and these large entities want to just make billions of dollars. But that's the thing that breaks my heart because the streaming is great and it's been very lucrative for us and... I was going to go here, where you're going. But it doesn't hit the cultural zeitgeist like movies that come out theatrically. Yeah, going and, to the movie theater. Exactly right. And yeah, I mean, I... What do you think killed that business? Just the, the immediate... Grad yeah. Well, I think the two things, the pandemic. I think it's been happening for 10 years, I mean. Yeah, I think the, the theater owners kind of started um, not paying attention to the experience of it. Like the theater started sucking, it was, yeah. 
Dirty. Like, dirty, the food sucked. It used to be so nice. That was started. The pandemic crushed it. Put the nail in the coffin. Put the nail in the coffin. Now, I don't want to say the coffin because the coffin's kind of creaked open, but I think it's coming back. But I think it's 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 tough because that movie, um, the contractor, was supposed to be a theatrical movie, and I'm not saying it would have been Avatar if it came out, but I think it would have had a more of an impact if it didn't. I'll tell you what, I loved it right in my living room, and I I related to what was going on with the pandemic. And what happened there? And again, those types of thoughts run through my head. Like, you know, what's going on here? Like, some yeah. of this stuff is, you know, pretty bogus. So to see a movie that kind of told a similar story, uh, I liked it. So, so we shot that before the pandemic, which is kind of yeah, crazy. it was 2019. Yeah. 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 Moving along, you sh- you're doing something with Asbury. Asbury Park. <laughs> yeah. And so. you're looking to bring film back to Jersey, and I want to talk about Netflix buying Fort Monmouth as well. Well, so the Asbury Park model, that was before we moved back to Jersey. <clears throat> so I wanted to do lower budget action movies. Mo- action movies under $10 million. I don't know if you guys have heard like Jason Blum, the Blumhouse movies, all these great horror movies mm-hmm. that like Get Out and others. Um, I wanted to do, the, the, he did the horror version, I wanted to do the action version. And because, you know, even though I spent all this time in LA, think about it, I've, I've been in LA longer than I've been in New Jersey, but I was always a mook from New Jersey when I was in L.A. And so Thunder Road was, you know, Thunder Road. Yeah. And when it came up to, to be um, this low budget, I'm like, I'm going to do Asbury Park. Um, now Which I live cool. here. It is cool. I mean, but now I live here. Everyone's like, oh, Asbury Park. Back then, you know, in L.A., people were like, where's Asbury Park? That sounds yeah. like a cool name. What is that? And so, you know, it's the world is just getting smaller and smaller in that I moved to Jersey to be just a guy that sits around a fire pit, have drinks with my friends like Craig and Dennis, and go to my kids' games and, and just ride bikes and be like a normal person. But then all of a sudden, New Jersey has this incredibly aggressive tax credit. So we shot Bruise, this Halle Berry movie here. We're about to shoot another movie here in the fall. Where'd you shoot it? Newark and Elizabeth. Yeah, I wanted to bring up the Authenticity, or if I'm saying that properly. Authenticity. Or, yeah, the, there you go, thank you. To your movies, right? Yeah. As I'm watching, you're seeing Sicario, you're seeing these movies that are involved with the FBI, DOD, <laughs> SEAL Team, CIA. You really seem to like that community, know a good amount about it. Yeah. And some of the things that went on, like in Sicario, I'm like, that is definitely real life. Talk a little bit about why you do that. I, I think you want to make it as real as possible. And I think audiences have this very subconscious sense of bullshit, where they look at it like, this is Hollywood crap. And so I want these movies to feel very real, um, because then the emotions are real and the stakes are real. And then kind of underneath that, <clears throat> you know, what I want to do is I want people who are cops or Navy SEALs or DEA or, or Boston gang robbers to go, God, that is. Yeah, what it's that's like. what happened. That's how it happens. And but I think most importantly, like that's not my my core audience. I think the core audience is like the general audience. I'm convinced, like, that they know when the filmmakers have put their time in. Like yeah. I watched Top Gun Two, which I loved, and that those flying sequences and all that stuff. I think are, I think that the amount of detail. It, it kind of brings you into that world, and and you're immersed in that world. It's and so, 
I think, you know. You try to do that with all your movies. All of them. And, and yeah. I, I, I truly believe that a great movie is the sum total of a lot of specific moments. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's um, something we really, really push on. Now, listen, I've worked on some movies that are silly, um, but the ones that I think we're known for, and a lot of them are ones that people don't really know about, like The Private War, which I would have anyone watch, and Hotel Mumbai, and Wind River. You know, I watched that too, the girl that was killed in the middle of the yeah, field, yeah. Th- there's, there's, a, there's a reality to it, and, and I'm not a, that's just my taste in films. I want a reality to it. Yeah, same. I, again, I, The Town, some of these movies before I knew who you were, and then your name was brought up, and I, I did some homework. I was like, oh, I love that movie. I like that movie. <laughs> we Are Marshall, I love this movie. I love We Are Marshall. So, you know, again, I really appreciate you coming out. I know no, you're a busy guy. You're very busy with your kids. You know, we actually had to reschedule this because you were driving to, I think, Maryland for your son's game. Florida. Florida. Jesus. Florida. Yeah. In July. Yeah. Oh, my God. In Fort Myers. It's going to be hell. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a busy guy. You're running a big business. Um, really, what I typically do at the end is ask two questions. The first question is, what would you tell any young business owners, especially here in the Jersey Shore yeah. area, um, what's one thing you would say to him when he or she is trying to pursue their dreams? Don't listen to anyone and don't be afraid to look stupid. Mm-hmm. And when I say don't listen to anyone is, you know, <clears throat> I opened a bookstore in Spring Lake. Yes, we didn't talk about your wife's yeah. store and your bookstore. And my wife opened a clothing store in Spring Lake. And on the bookstore, everyone's like, what are you, nuts? It's like Amazon pandemic blah 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 and I'm like people are tired of that I don't care like I love books and I'm hoping people agree with me and it has my wife you know opened this store with high-end clothes and what's the name of her store warm warm and right downtown right right downtown and it's been she's done incredibly well because and your wife's name Natalie Natalie and I think for a business owner is this, it's the same thing I kind of do when I realized, when I started being involved in the good movies. Make a movie that you love and hope that people agree with you. Yeah, it's like your tribe, people who think like exactly you Exactly right. And so, unless you're some alien, chances are, if you love something and you're passionate about something, just double down on it. People will come. May not come right away. And so don't listen to people going, saying, oh, you can't do it because of this. I didn't listen to anyone. Um, and, I, and I walked in completely okay with failing. Yeah. Failure is not that big of a deal. Once you demystify it, it's not that big Think of a deal. Think about how quick the, the news cycle is of like large things like, you know, wars that are going on. All of a sudden it's like, it's gone. No, no one's talking completely. about it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're doing something as a small business owner. And not that that's not monumental, but... You know, it, let's just say it fails. No one's sitting there talking about it a year from now. They don't but, even remember. But don't you, if you're going to go down, don't you want to go down? Swinging. Swinging? Yeah, I do. Uh, you don't want to go down going, I went down because I try to, like, appease. Some. No, go down. Authenticity, yeah. I think, is so underrated. It's I lacking. It's lacking. And when people realize that you're, and I've seen this much less so in, as a film producer, but as a business owner and my wife. When people notice that, like, you put your heart and soul in something, people root for you. Yeah. Like, I have people coming to my wife, my wife's store and my store because they're like, you know, we're going to make sure that you succeed. 
because we put ourselves out there. And what's the name of your bookstore? Because that was my next question. Thunder Road Books. Thunder Road Books. <laughs> I was going to say, give a shout out to two business owners, yes. but you and your wife's store, and that's fitting. Well, dude, I really appreciate no, your comment. my pleasure. I think you're going to like this, uh, you know, final version of the episode, and awesome. I hope we're able to, uh, you know, have some fun. Done. Cheers. I appreciate it. I hope I don't look too fat on the thing. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> same. I say the same thing every week.